Welcome back to Behind the Screens. I'm Matthew Liebman from Movio. And I'm Simon Burton from Numero. So, Simon, you got your Top Gun tickets yet? Uh, not yet, Matt, but there's uh, plenty of sessions over the next few days to uh, to get on board. I was just looking at our local cinema here in Monrovia, and they've got 18 sessions kicking off from 3pm on Thursday afternoon. Yeah, well, we were lucky enough to sit in CinemaCon, and people who listen to this regularly have heard us rave about it. I've got um, family tickets for Sunday and Movio work tickets for next week. So I've got two more screenings in my future, and I'm actually looking forward to both of them. This is a film to see over and over. Yeah, bring it on. Can't wait to see the, the box office results this weekend for Top Gun Maverick. But why don't we look at the weekend just gone? Uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness still leading the way at the global box office. Um, it's now past $800 million globally after three weekends. Um, of that total, $340 million is from the domestic market and $460 million from the international box office, uh, with the international box office grossing another $40 million this past weekend. Looking at the international markets being led by Korea in number one, the UK in number two, Mexico number three, Brazil number four, and Australia rounding out the top five. If we shift over to the domestic market, uh, Doctor Strange took another $32.3 million this past weekend, or a drop of 48% from the previous weekend. Yeah, I'd like to get your view on that. I mean, it seems like Doctor Strange has had some hard markers uh, looking at its drop-off and its grosses, but when you don't have China and you don't have Russia and you've racked up over $800 million with a few days to go before Top Gun, Seems pretty good result in my books. What are your thoughts? Oh, I think it has to be a success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 800 million bucks. Yeah, it, it remains to be seen how, how much the, the Top Gun Maverick gross has impacted this, this weekend coming, but there's still uh, a little bit of fuel left in the tank for, for Doctor Strange uh, at the moment. What else do you see? Uh, how are the other films tracking in the domestic market? Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on on the... Just again, the incredible holds of some of the, the family films. We've got the bad guys coming in at number three with 6.1 million, only a drop of 12%. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 taking another $4 million in number in fourth spot, dropping only 12%. Um, and the, the A24 hit everything everywhere all at once, only dropping 5%, taking another $3 million, bringing its cum to $52.2 million in the domestic market. So that makes it A24's highest gross. I think it's knocked off um, Uncut Gems or it's about to if it hasn't yet. Uh, so it's definitely got that gold medal in its sights if it's not already got it in its hands. Yeah, it'll surpass Uncut Gems to be A24's highest grossing film in uh, in North America. I know that's um, one of Adam Sandler's better acting performances, but I'd imagine as a studio you wouldn't want Adam Sandler to hold the top spot. So I think this is good for A24 overall. <laughs> good for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, the major wide release, the new opener in the domestic market, Downton Abbey, A New Era, uh, came in at second position this past weekend, grossing $16 million, a little bit off the, the $31 million opening of the first one. Um, but what was the, the audience like that came out to see the sequel, Matt? Yeah, we'll have a look at that. I mean, I wonder if there's been a little bit of Downton fatigue. We've seen a few things that we'll talk about when we break it down in terms of older audiences returning and so on. But I don't know about you. I'm I'm obviously not in the core group for Downton Abbey. Um, but 
looking at the trailer with them on the road to France kind of feels like that Brady Bunch double episode where they went to Hawaii to look for the Tiki Idol. Uh, I wonder if they're, they're coming close to jumping the shark. Um, but let's have a look and see whether it's um, the audience or, or maybe a little fatigue. Starting off with the most similar opening weekend movies, no surprises, Downton Abbey's number one, followed by the 2019 edition of Little Women, Book Club, the sequel to Mamma Mia, the documentary A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, Mary Poppins Returns, Emma, and then Death on the Nile. In terms of breaking the audience down further, what I'll do is compare the first theatrical uh, Downton Abbey to the new era that's just come out. Looking at frequency, the major difference here is amongst the infrequent group, and they're the ones who average fewer than four visits a year. For a new era, 49% of the audience fell into that infrequent group versus 36% for the first one. Now, for me, that suggests they're pulling back some of that senior audience that hadn't been in theatres regularly before, but not in the same volumes. Uh, Otherwise, you would have that percentage at 49% but also a bigger quantum of the box office than what you were able to to report there. But it does make me wonder whether there's a crack in the dam now and we'll start to see some of those seniors come back in greater numbers. Uh, I know we keep referencing Top Gun, but we're also seeing older people come to that given the age of the the initial instalment. So this might be the next time we see that demo come in. Looking at age and um, demographic uh, in terms of gender, it is an older franchise and it's skewed older again. So 70% of a new era's audience was aged 55 or older, and that's compared to 61% for the first theatrical installment. So nine percentage points of difference. And it's come at the expense of those aged 25 to 54. Um, The younger group hasn't changed at all. It's also become a little more female skewed at 62% versus 59% for the last one. So what we're seeing here is that this This new era seems to have gone deeper into the core audience, the older, more female skewed, but it's narrowed in terms of its breadth into the male audience and to that next bracket down in age group. So it looks like it's one for the fans and the franchise might be losing some of those more peripheral audiences. One other thing that jumped out for me, and you might have seen it in the box office, is there's very little audience after 9pm. So Usually on an opening weekend, we would expect 12% of the box office to occur after 9pm. That's across all movies, including kids' films, which would pull that percentage down. For Downton New Era, it was just 2%. Uh, unsurprisingly, it outperforms in that 12 to 6pm, and it holds its own in the 6 to 9. So you're seeing afternoons and evenings are the sweet spot for a new era. And we've talked about this before. In many markets around the world, the exhibitors are able to split a screen and it doesn't happen so much in the US. This feels like one to give Downton as much runway as possible. Um, It would be great to see late evenings drop, but keep it on that early evening and late afternoon rather than lose it altogether in some of those domestic multiplexes. Yes, certainly encouraging for that uh, over 55 demographic returning to the theatres, and I think that'll continue this this weekend with with Top Gun Maverick, uh, looking at the audience profile for who's been purchasing tickets for, for that film. So, Simon, why don't we turn our attention to this week's interview with uh, Jackie Brenneman of NATO. Jackie Brenneman wears a lot of hats. In fact, so many hats that I'm going to focus on the one she wears today instead of the total of 14 jobs and four volunteering positions she's held over her career. So just talking currently, Jackie is the General Counsel for the Global Cinema Foundation, the Commissioner of the Burbank Cultural Arts Commission, 
the Executive VP and Legal Counsel for the National Association of Theatre Owners, where she oversees strategy on internal and external legal, policy and business matters for NATO. And she played an instrumental role during the pandemic in developing and leading the implementation of government relief programs to help US exhibitors. In October 2021, Jackie was appointed the president of the NATO Cinema Foundation. And while we could fill an interview uh, with each of these positions on their own, it's this newest role as president of the Cinema Foundation that we'll discuss predominantly today. So welcome to the podcast, Jackie. Thanks for, for giving me your time. Wow. Thank you so much for that introduction. I, I feel tired listening to it. <laughs> I can only imagine. So I can imagine um, you're, you're tied with the Cinema Foundation as well because it's so ambitious and it's recently launched at, at CinemaCon. Can you um, explain what the foundation is and why there was a need to establish it, particularly at this time? Yeah, um, I am so excited to talk about the Cinema Foundation. I can talk about it all day, every day. Um, the Cinema Foundation is a way for the whole industry to come together to tackle problems in a proactive way. Uh, and that means it's not just NATO members, it's not just exhibitors, but it is the entire industry. Anyone who cares about cinema, who depends on it for their livelihood, for their passion, you can come work in the foundation, volunteer with us, donate to us, and we will use data and research to solve the industry's problems. That's fantastic. And, and it does feel really timely at the moment as well. So how does it fit within NATO um, as a particular element of that broader organization? Yeah, so it's, it's, it is a strange little spot. So the Cinema Foundation is its own 501c3 entity, but uh, it's very typical for trade associations to have their own foundations. And the way that they do that is through what's called a supporting organization. Uh, so the what that means really is that the Cinema Foundation borrows its tax status from NATO, uh, from NATO's own uh, nonprofit 501c6 status. And what all that means is NATO is a lobbying body. NATO is allowed to do, do that. And NATO represents movie theater owners uh, and only movie theater owners. So it can speak with one voice when it's lobbying governments or studios. Um, so to share one set of concerns. But the mission of NATO is to advance the movie going experience. So the Cinema Foundation borrows that mission and borrows the tax status from NATO. And NATO has a form of control over the foundation, which is that NATO's executive board appoints the executive board for the foundation. But aside from that, the mission sharing and the executive board appointment, the Cinema Foundation is its own entity. And so what we have done with the Cinema Foundation is made sure to very clearly show the industry that this is a, a broad industry initiative. And so we have a board that's not just movie theater owners, but it also has uh, vendors. And we've got Dolby, Cineonic, Coca-Cola also on our board of seven. Um, and so that board sets its own budget and sets its own priorities. But it's in, it, but everything that the foundation does still must further NATO's mission of advancing the movie going experience. That makes sense. And in terms of how that might lead to um, a, an allocation of responsibilities or projects or work between what people have been familiar with um, NATO in the past and, and as the foundation emerges, 
Is there that sort of demarcation? Could we expect certain things that NATO might have done in the past to come to the foundation? Um, or are there altogether new things that you're starting to see the foundation do that for various reasons NATO didn't have in their remit previously? So I think first and foremost, we are in many ways a, a way to expand what NATO has done. Uh, so certainly NATO has dabbled in research. NATO has put money behind some industry promotion efforts. Uh, and just general collaborative community building work. Uh, so NATO has relationships with the DGA and NATO has, you know, the cinema safe program was certainly a way to promote the industry and come together. Um, so we will expand all of that, right? But, and we have more budget and more staff, but we will also not be limited in our volunteers, in our stakeholders, in our, in our you know, day-to-day operations by what NATO itself does and did do. So, I, you know, I can talk a little bit about the the separate prongs, but really like we have uh, five different initiatives we're working on in the foundation. Uh, we will also be sharing a lot of staff with NATO. So that's a way to, you know, help save costs on both ends. We will absolutely be hiring more uh, people within the foundation as well. Um, but it's important that there is that kind of shared history and, and mission so we will we'll work on careers, education, and diversity. Uh, we will work, and, and again, we could go over all of this in more detail, but we'll try to make sure that we will be focusing on who, who, how we get better employees, who those employees are, what those tactics are, especially as we're coming out of the pandemic. Uh, there's been challenges across the board um, in all sectors on that front. Um, getting to know those employees, understanding how we can retain them through better training, promotion efforts, um, and making sure that there's a DE&I is part of all of that. You know, let's make sure that the employees that work for us, that we are promoting, that we are recruiting, reflect our communities that we serve. Um, we also have industry promotion and creative community outreach. So like I said before, NATO is, has already developed relationships with creative community. Um, during the pandemic, over 110 directors signed on to a letter asking Congress to help movie theaters. So it's clear that the creative community relies on movie theaters and cares about movie theaters deeply. They, uh, many, many directors think of movie theaters as central to their art form. And so by working together in a more specific way um, and, and in a more direct way, we will be able to build those relationships uh, and see what comes up from that. Uh, I think that a lot of creativity will happen, a lot of great ideas when we're all in rooms together. Uh, we have, uh, we are also working on two different centers, a center for innovation and technology, which are two separate think tanks, one to test out possible innovation in the industry. And that's, that's widespread innovation. It's innovation in what is on our screens, how it goes onto our screens, what we sit on, what we eat, um, how to communicate with our guests. And we'll be probably working with universities and other research groups on some pilot projects. And again, everything that we do will have data and research that will help the industry generally. And we also have this innovation center uh, to figure out what the technology of the future is, uh, to figure out what, what it is to have cinematic presentation, to make sure that any of the innovation that we look at in the think tank on that side, that it's, able to be implemented in technology going forward and then allow our members, once we figure out that kind of baseline, allow our, like allow the community itself to differentiate and compete and go above and beyond whatever a minimum looks like. Um, And then we have data and research, which as I've 
mentioned heavily, and I'll continue to mention, everything that we do in the foundation will be grounded by research and data. Um, we, I think that there is, you know, there's so much information and data in our industry, but not a lot of it is really combined and and proliferated in a way that is useful. And so we hope to take advantage of all of the different resources and ideas that we have in this industry and put together compelling, accurate pieces of data uh, and change the way that conversations in this industry occur. Uh, I think a lot of things have been uh, gut and instinct, um, and and that has been useful in some ways, but also a major hindrance. And so I think if we can change and you know modify the way we com- we have conversations to be much more disciplined and data driven, uh, I think it's going to be really productive. Say our last one is industry charities. We want to make sure that people understand we're not trying to step on the toes of any of the really important charities that exist in this industry. Uh, so one of the things that NATO has done historically uh, is to give money to other charities. So for example, during the pandemic, NATO gave a million dollars to Will Rogers. Uh, so that's one of the things that NATO used to do that NATO will no longer do. The foundation will do them. So as long as the mission of a particular charitable organization matches our, the mission of the foundation, uh, then then that's a, a great target to partner with and build uh, and amplify those messages and efforts. That's hugely ambitious. I mean, each of those five prongs could be a full-time gig in itself. So, um, you know, I'm glad there's somebody of your energy is looking after this for the, the industry. Um, look, given we're data nerds um, in our particular business, maybe I could talk to you about that industry and research, uh, industry research and data aspect first. You talk about wanting to sort of reset some conversations. Do you think those conversations are needing to be reset more within the industry between stakeholders at different stages of, of a movie's life cycle? Or is it trying to change perceptions and engage beyond the industry with other other bodies that might not understand the importance or the role of cinema? It is absolutely the latter. Um, and, and, and it's not that it's not also within the industry, but it is uh, my, my goal with the foundation is to make movie going obvious and sexy. Um, and I think that when we're speaking to anyone, it's important to reframe. I think there's a lot of just misconceptions about the movie theater industry. So we can talk just, for example, when we're talking about recruiting employees, I think when you tell people about a movie theater job, what you have in your head automatically is a high school student at a box office or serving popcorn. And that is not, you know, you, you work in this industry, you know that there are a lot of people that work in movie theaters for, with real career jobs. Now, they may have started in that high school job. Um, and and what, a, what a great story that is, that you can, this is an industry where you really can start from the, from the bottom and work your way up. But there are a lot of exciting, real careers in this industry, and we have not done a good job telling that story. And not only that, there are a lot of people in this industry that start selling popcorn, move their way up into a movie theater, and then decide, hey, I want to move to another state, another, I want to try something different. And there are so many jobs within this entire industry. And so many people move around within this industry. And being able to tell that story and tell people, hey, there are great opportunities. Whatever you're interested in, there's a spot for you to make a real viable career in our industry. Uh, having that information is, is going to be really useful. So change, understanding who 
what do people think about movie theater jobs and how, and, and again, that's through data, really polling people, getting that, you know, has, asking those tough questions and then using that information to inform how we, how we do a better job recruiting and telling our story. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And one of the other aspects that piqued my, my interest as you were going through the remit was that connection between the theatres and the creative community. And one of the reasons for that is last week I was in Australia and participated in a, an Australian feature film working group. And that's to try and bring producers and distributors and exhibitors together. And in particular, build a direct connection between those making movies and those showing them because that hasn't existed much either. And there was a feeling that if we make that connection tighter, there'll be greater support uh, at the theatrical side. Uh, I hear the, the great initiative that you help facilitate with directors um, lobbying for the survival of cinemas during the pandemic. But what does that look like in a, a normal environment when it's not something existential? How do you see in, in uh, the Cinema Foundation's role that uh, that facilitation of exhibitors and filmmakers, creatives coming together? Yeah, so there are three different ways that the creative community, I can see automatically like plugging into the foundation. So the first is marketing. Uh, I think that we've had great conversations with directors in the past. And when directors and exhibitors get together and talk about marketing, it's clear that there are some really exciting opportunities to engage more directly with audiences that uh, I think are going to end up paying dividends. They're really exciting. And I think that those kinds of conversations are going to be useful. Um, an another great way is through technology. Uh, historically, the studios have played a very necessary kind of middleman role between the creatives and the exhibitors. And that is that 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 role makes complete sense in most areas, but it ends up being a, an unhelpful buffer when we're talking about technology. Uh, so, you know, if a filmmaker is making a movie and viewing it on the lot in a in a very under perfect conditions, and then they go out into you know the field somewhere and it doesn't look like that, they can they can feel like the presentation in movie theaters is suffering. And I'm not saying that there's that there's perfect presentation everywhere. But what I am saying is that if if the creative community and exhibitors and technology companies are all sitting together thinking about what it is to have cinematic presentation and what are the limiting factors, what, you know, where do you need exit lights and what are the different laws and different territories that can impact presentation and how can we work around those together? It will breed empathy and it will also breed innovation. And I think if everyone that is a stakeholder in cinema presentation is planning the future of cinema presentation together, that is the right answer to moving forward. Um, and then finally, on the data on the data piece, if we're commissioning good research about theatrical releases and what that means for you know when the movie goes to the home, what it means for piracy, what are the what are the economic and cultural impacts of a of a theatrical release? Then the filmmakers who rely on that information can take that information to their representatives when they're negotiating for their for whatever it is, you know, for whatever however they want their title to be released, they will have full information. So I think, you know, this is my lawyer hat. My lawyer hat thinks a good contract means that you bargain over material terms. And when you bargain over material terms, you have to have full information. So 
I think just arming the everyone in the industry with accurate information means that better, more accurate deals will get made, whatever the outcome of those are. You know, it's it's completely fine if a filmmaker wants something to go straight to streaming. They should have the information so they know what kind of deal to make. And the same thing goes holds true if they're trying to have a theatrical release. Really defining that and understanding it is also something that good data can help with. Couldn't agree more. You touched earlier about the um, the Center for Innovation and Technology, and the wording that's used uh, in your releases and and the website is to ensure the industry's technology is future ready. I'd be really keen from your personal perspective. What what does future ready mean when you look at theaters? Where do you think they need to go in in the immediate term and beyond? You know, I I think the sky is the limit. I will say that. There's a lot of real enthusiasm, energy, and innovation in this industry already. Um, But I I hear time and time again um, that there are obstacles in the way of innovation. So it can be very difficult, for example, for doing live events. um, There's not necessarily an ease for doing that. There's a lot of, it's just complicated to add a lot of extra things in or into into your into your space into your booth to make that possible um wouldn't it be nice if if that's something that you're interested in if you're if you had one piece of technology that was capable of doing that um gaming is another thing exhibitors are really interested in you know is there a way to streamline all of that i don't i don't know the answer but we should be asking these questions and we should be asking them together so i think that's why when when i say Let's make sure that the, you know, whatever comes out of the innovation center, you know, it it needs to have a viable, there needs to be some viable business reason for it. And then there needs to be a way to implement it. If it's, if there's not a, if there's not an easy way to implement this innovation, then it's not ever going to take off. So I, you know, I, I think that there are, it's all, it's also not just the technology of, you know, projection and sound. It's also the technology and how we communicate with our guests, how guests buy tickets, how guests order concessions, um, how we communicate with them just generally, our loyalty members, all of that. So I think just learning about how to really infuse technology throughout the entire complex and do so in a way that helps you as a business owner and in not just in cost, but in effectiveness, um, that's, that's going to be major. Yeah, I'm, I'm particularly passionate about that service delivery model and how you can give an outstanding experience to moviegoers, even when you're under stress with, with payroll and labor. I think there's some, some huge opportunity there. One of the things that um, we discussed when we caught up at, at CinemaCon was the funding model for the foundation. And I thought it was, at least for the initial rounds of funding, a really innovative or interesting approach. Uh, can you describe how, how exhibitors contribute to the foundation? Yeah, so um, one of the reasons we decided to actually do the foundation now um, was because we had quite a lot of members who were fortunate to get funding through the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant Program, um, which did transfer about $2.7 billion of federal funds to uh, small and mid-sized movie theater owners. Uh, unfortunately, there was we, we weren't able to get relief on the federal level for the publicly traded companies. Uh, the only way to get this bill passed was through the SBA, the Small Business Administration. And there was simply no appetite on the Hill for funding uh, publicly traded companies. So once we had members get that kind of funding and they saw the intense amount of work that NATO did to get that that bill passed and to 
and to actually have members understand it and access the funds. Um, that was a, a tremendous amount of, of labor on NATO's part. And a lot of a lot of movie theater owners didn't fully understand what a trade body could do until that happened. Um, and at the same time, you know, NATO's funding sources were challenged, right? We had our dues were frozen and then only at 25% last year, we lost the ability to have a profitable trade show. We had no, no convention in, uh, in 2020 and then a much smaller symbolic bonding kind of trade show in August of uh, 2021. And even this one, we're still ramping back up. Um, so our, our primary funding sources were challenged and we spent through most of our, not most, I, I, that, that's a horrible thing to say. We spent through a good amount of our reserves during the pandemic in really important initiatives that our executive board, uh, you know, led us to do. And, and that was the right thing to do, right? We had a, a rainy day fund and it was quite rainy. Um, so, but we had these exhibitors who said, how can we help NATO? We want NATO to stay strong. We want this industry to stay strong. We have, we have some extra money. We can help you. Know, should we pay extra dues? What should we do? And so our answer was no extra dues. Uh, we, that's no. Um, but how about we fund this ambitious, collaborative, proactive fighting foundation and bring everyone together that cares and let's, you know, let's take the future into our own hands. So as an initial step on funding, our, our philosophy, our plan is to ask those members who receive the, uh, the SVOG, the, the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant funding, to donate an amount equal to 1% of the funds. Um, and so that, you know, if we got all of it, which I'm sure I'm certain we will not, but um, <laughs> that would be about twenty seven million dollars, which would allow us to do an amazing amount of work. Um, and when we really do feel like one percent is an incredibly reasonable ask, um, you know, most industries did not get anything like this. And the and most of the companies that were doing the work that NATO did for free we're charging 30% or more of the grant money as a, as a fee. Uh, we charge nothing. Um, and we're, we're hoping for just 1% to symbolically support something that will keep us strong altogether in the future. Um, but yes, we'll ask others for money too. So <laughs> it's not just that. No. And look, I, I, I fully um, empathize that a lot of the exhibitors have had a, a really tough couple of years, you know, including some of our clients. But at the same time, when I look at what you're seeking to achieve, there looks to be a very solid return on investment for the 1% there. That's what we, I mean, we believe that we think this is less of a donation and more of an investment in our shared uh, future. I do think you know, when, when you talk about the external stakeholders, you know, I, I mentioned the employees and, you know, the data impacting how we talk to our employees, but we're also going to be commissioning data that will help movie theaters talk to their, talk to investors, um, you know, talk to their banks, talk to their, you know, if, if they need to talk to local governments, that this information can help them help themselves and help the whole industry. So I, I really do believe this will be beneficial. So maybe taking that that uh, comment about helping the whole industry, obviously NATO is a US centric body, but you know what happens in America, what happens in Hollywood has ramifications for the entire industry, um, NATO uh, for theatres as much as it is the, the content for the rest of the world. Do you anticipate that the foundation will have benefits for the global industry? And if so, what, what do you think they might be? 
I certainly hope that the foundation has benefits for the global industry. Um, so there's there's a few ways that I can think that we would immediately be addressing that. So the reason it's, I mean, so I'll back up for a second. The, a major reason it's going it's domestic is just the tax status. Um, certainly, organizations and individuals that are located outside of the United States can support the foundation through time or money, but they just don't benefit from the same tax status. Um, we can't fund foreign governments, but we can accept, you know, funds from individuals. So there's a way to participate if you believe in the mission, um, for sure. But, you know, I think two different areas are going to be immediately important. One is uh, technology. It would be foolish for the Cinema Foundation to be talking about the future of technology and to not invite companies that operate exclusively overseas to the table as well. Um, because if we're only talking about the United States, then we're not really talking about the future of technology. So we, we will be trying as best we can to be as inclusive as possible in our center for technology. Um, I also think that when we're talking about um, film supply and the importance of diverse content, which is going to be a major um, issue, I believe, um, is to think about emerging markets. I think there are really interesting stories to tell in um, markets that don't have good comps because they are new. Um, and it's hard to, you know, when you're talking to new audiences and convincing new audiences to come to theaters, I think there's also lessons to learn in the United States. You know, when you talk about Africa, Africa, there are a lot of places there where, you know, they're building new theaters and people in those areas have never been to a movie theater before. So how do you get them to come? What, how do you, what do you explain to them is the benefit of movie going, right? This happened in China as well. So we also have those audiences in the United States, people that haven't come back since the pandemic and people that haven't been in the, to the theaters in a long time or ever. Are those audiences really lost or are we, do we need to tell a different story? And I think we can learn from other territories about approaching those problems as well. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So the foundation was officially launched at CinemaCon only a few weeks ago, although you were already doing work behind the scenes before that official launch. But when will the first outcomes or, or first output to be seen from the, the different aspects of, of the, the mission that you've put together? So we hope to have some real data to present by the summit that we that NATO traditionally holds in September. The foundation will now be leading that summit. Uh, that means that the foundation will be financially responsible for it um, and be responsible for the themes and the programming itself. So we hope to do at least two studies. And I haven't talked about this with my board yet. So, um, but, you know, the, the conversations we're going to have are about different you know, probably audience information and employee information and having some real uh, high level conversations about the about that data and some real world ways to interpret that information in a positive way. So my my kind of goal on programming going forward is information, not conversation. So, yes, we will be talking, uh, but we will be talking about data and we'll be talking about how to take that data and help your business. Um, so that's, that's going to be what we do at the, at that summit. So certainly look forward to that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm welcoming ideas from, from anyone who's interested. Excellent. I'm sure you'll get a bunch of them. Hey, look, my final question to you is, can you talk to me about putting mustard on popcorn? <laughs> my favorite movie theater snack. I guess you I saw that. that. 
<laughs> I forgot that's like on the NATO page from days of mm-hmm. yore. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So my favorite movie theater snack is absolutely, I t- especially it's not the packets of mustard because that's too messy, but it's when you have the pump and the little container and you can get your, your whole thing of, of popcorn and I dip like one or two at a time and it's extra salty and, and very delicious. And it, and it also helps me eat the popcorn over like 30 minutes instead of four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. So it's quite strategic there. Yeah, a little bit. A sauce yeah. is my favorite food. That's, that's a very important thing to know about me. Uh, we could have that in common. My favorite popcorn toppings, Cholula hot sauce. So um, oh, great. similar slows me down. <laughs> hey, Jackie, thank you so much for your time and for explaining uh, how the foundation is coming together and what its goals are. Um, you have a massive cheerleader in me. I think this is going to be terrific for our industry and couldn't come at a better time for, for where the industry is and, and where it's aiming in the next months to years ahead. So uh, all the very best with it for you and the team and look forward to seeing some of the, the outcomes and the way it's moving the dial over the months and years ahead. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. Great work, Matt. Moving ahead to next week. You've heard us bang on about it for a couple of weeks now. Uh, the huge release of Top Gun Maverick globally. Uh, taking a quick look at the, the pre-sales when we're a couple of days out from release. Uh, they're still in line with the Batman, which augurs well for an enormous opening weekend. Uh, obviously, we've got the four-day weekend here in North America. I know there are a number of territories that uh, did previews this past weekend. I think there's Tuesday night screenings in North America tonight. Uh, And Matt, you were saying there's additional screenings in in your neck of the woods as well. Yeah, there is. I was actually looking at one of our largest flagship sites um, in Auckland, and there's literally one seat left at the moment um, if anyone wants to hurry up and grab it. But just looking at seating maps at some of the major multiplexes, uh, those seats are selling fast as well. So, you know, Top Gun is the adopted national film of New Zealand. They're going to come out in big numbers and uh, you can see that already reflected in some of the pre-sales. Yeah, can't wait to, to report on the numbers next week. I think that on the, just looking at the North American market, the estimates have just gone up and up and up in the last few weeks. So uh, the film could do anything this weekend and uh, good luck to, to all the exhibitors and, and the guys at Paramount Pictures this weekend with a, with a massive release. So, Simon, um, of course, Top Gun's going to top the weekend with probably a fair bit of daylight between it and number two. But there's also another wide release, and that's the Bob's Burgers movie coming from 20th Century Fox. It's, um, it's a film that we saw some, some footage for at the different conferences we've been at. Looks like a lot of fun. To what extent do you reckon it's counter-programming? Oh, absolutely. I think we've identified that, uh, obviously, the, the older demographics heading out for Top Gun Maverick. Uh, and Bob's Burgers movie sits right in that wheelhouse with the younger males, I would have thought. Yeah, and that's still, as we look at the pre-sales, that segment that hasn't pre-bought the tickets in the same numbers as um, those other demographics. I still think that's untapped potential. I don't think they're a lost market for Top Gun. Hopefully they go see Bob's Burgers movie, hear the buzz on Top Gun, maybe even see the trailer, and that's what they come out and see next weekend after the opening for Top Gun. Absolutely. That'd be a great result. So looking forward to to seeing those grosses as well next weekend. Uh, But until then, have a terrific week. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world-leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Scenes podcast is produced by Grace Furness, edited by Patrick Hanna, 
with additional support from Ryan Preventure, Georgia Culverwell, and Christine Rizzolo.